Good morning. Brisk, brisk day here in Ohio. <clears throat> if you came by boat today, you can park your paddles anywhere you want. So, uh, Welcome to everyone here this morning and welcome to all that are listening on the radio. This morning we have just a few announcements. The youth will be selling First Church cookbooks today at the parking lot entrance. Uh, cookbooks make great stock, stocking stuffers and Christmas gifts. Cost per cookbook is $15 or you can get two for $25. Uh, Shannon Rediger will be home from her 11-month mission trip by Thanksgiving. On Sunday afternoon, December 3rd, she will give a presentation about her experiences in the ministry center. And the Operation Christmas Shoebook Child Shoeboxes need to be brought in today by 4. I notice there's quite a few over there on the table. So if you have any of those you haven't brought in, bring those in by 4. And if you would, stand and join me in the preparation for worship taken from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, and chapter 9, verses, or chapter 5, 9 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more we shall be saved from God's wrath from him. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. And we will remain standing and sing our opening hymn, number 410, My Faith Looks Up to Thee.
Now we invite the children forward for the children's chat, and while they're doing that, take some time to greet your neighbors. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. All right. Well, we're a little thin up here today. So, I brought with me some things today. Well, actually, it's all the same thing. What did I bring with me today? Pencils. Look, we have pencils that look like cows. We have fat pencils. We have yellow pencils with a ruler on. We have another pencil. We have an unsharpened pencil. We have a mechanical pencil. We even have a pencil with a grippy on. We like those grippies, don't we? Yeah, they work good at preschool. Yep. So, what can you tell me about these pencils? What do we use a pencil for? To draw with. Yeah. Yeah, to write with. Okay, so all these pencils are different, right? Some are fat, some are skinny, some have puppies on, some some are just cool pencils, right? What do they all have, though? <coughs> well, yeah, look a little closer. What do they all have on top? Eraser. They all have an eraser. How many of you ever have to use an eraser? Come on, be honest. We all got to use an eraser every once in a while, don't we? Why do we have to use an eraser? To make it go away, to erase it off in case we make a mistake. Yeah, in case when we do something, we make a mistake. You're right. So, you know what? These pencils kind of remind me of people. Are any of my pencils the same? No. No. Are any of us the same? No. No. But you know what we have in common with these pencils? We make mistakes. And sometimes we need an eraser. Sometimes we need, do we need an eraser in life? Do we sometimes wish we could just turn over on our head and erase what we just did? Yeah, do we sometimes need an eraser when we make a mistake? Yeah, but we don't have like a physical eraser on our head that we can just erase what we did wrong. But, I know, guess what? We have something better than an eraser. What do we have that fixes what we mess up? What do we have? We have God who gave us his son who died on the cross for us to take away our sins for when we mess up. Because a sin is like when we mess up, right? And And we need to erase it and do over. And Jesus is that do-over for us. Jesus is that grace. Today, we're talking about God's grace. And God's grace is like a big eraser. It allows us the opportunity to do over. And that is amazing. Okay? So, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to erase our mistakes. And when we do something wrong, we can ask God to forgive us and Jesus will erase those mistakes and make our paper clean so that we can start over again. Now that is the best kind of eraser that we can have, isn't it? 
So the next time you make a mistake, you think about how Jesus is our eraser in life. And and I don't know about you, but I probably use my eraser a couple times every day, especially when we're in school. So when you use your eraser on the end of your pencil the next time, you think about, hey, you know what? Jesus is like an eraser because he died for my sins. Okay? So that pencil is like us. No two pencils are exactly the same. No two people are exactly the same. But we, and we all have an eraser. God is, Jesus died on the cross for our grace. All right, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us so that he could be the eraser in our lives to take away our sins, to give us that do-over so that we can go through life sin-free, that we have that forgiveness Please be with us this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. Help us to enjoy our family and our times off. Keep us healthy and safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keep in mind the family of friends of those who died in our service in the last week. In Afghanistan, Sergeant First Class Houghton O. Brown, 43, from Brooklyn, New York. In Iraq, Chief Warrant Officer Second Class Lee M. Smith, 35, died in Baghdad from Arlington, Texas. In the Republic of Korea, Airman First Class Derek Jones, 23, from Miami-Dade, Florida. In Zanzibar, off the coast of Tanzania, Lieutenant Mark Weiss, 35, from Coronado, California. In Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Sergeant Robert Thornton, Jr., 29, from Cairo, Georgia. In Fort Gordon, Georgia, Technical Sergeant Michael Clardy, 34, from Sumter, South Carolina. Thank you, Jay. I was supposed to come up and make an announcement earlier, and so since I don't have a better place to stick one in the service than here, this is what I'm going <laughs> to where I'm going to do it. Uh, if you notice in your bulletin, uh, there's an insert um, that has some information about about some first church clothing and, and things like that that we're we're uh, have have available to order now. If you are connected to New Knoxville schools and the Spirit Pack, they do. It's the same kind of idea, um, except we're not we're not raising any money. This isn't a fundraiser or anything like that. It's just an opportunity to to show some first church pride and to to have a get a shirt or, or something like that if you're interested in. It. So I'm wearing one of the polos. There's some other examples over there, um, and I know the printout there isn't the best picture to see, um, but there is a website, um, just like with the other New Knoxville Spirit Packs. You can go online and check out the, the pictures on there to, to get a better look at, at what is available. So we just want to encourage you, um, and, and we want to bring it to your attention because the time, the window is short. Um, they want orders in before December 1st in order for them to be available by Christmas. So if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, um, or want just more information, you can always call the office and Connie or I can, uh, can fill you in. But um, just wanted to, to let you know that's, that's what that insert is all about. And if you have any questions, feel free to let me know. Um, 
Now let's transition into prayer for, for our church and our community and our world. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here and to worship you this morning. I, I thank you, Lord, that you are God um, and that we are not. Uh, Lord, that we can look to you, that we can look beyond ourselves and, and see how you're working in this world. And pray, Lord, that you continue to guide and direct us as a church. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord, we can't. We acknowledge that we, in our, of ourselves, aren't able to to solve our problems. We're not able to to direct our paths, Lord. And so we look to you for guidance and care and provision, Lord, where we need it. I pray for those uh, that are in our bulletin and our concerns list. Um, we we continue to lift them up and and pray that your will would be done in those situations. And we also pray, Lord, uh, for for our world, our country, and our world, Lord. Um, it seems like. More and more we hear about the, the, the turn on the news and see the, the devastation and the violence and, and the division, Lord, that is, that is uh, characteristic of our country and our world right now. And so, Lord, in, in response to that, we pray for your peace. We pray for your unity, Lord, that, that all people would, would look to Christ and, and, and know him as Savior and Lord and that, and that the unity that can come from, from having that same faith. And so we pray, Lord, for, for revival. We pray that your spirit would, would make a... Make, uh, make itself known in this world so that we can all look to you for guidance and direction. Uh, we pray, Lord, ultimately that your will would be done in all these things, we pray in Christ's name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Uh, the choir will be uh, singing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
please continue to stand as we hear today's scripture, which comes from Paul's book to the Romans, uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded because of what? Because of the what law? The law that requires works. No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is it God, the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. If you would please continue to stand and open your blue hymnals and turn to page 210 as we sing the hymn, Jesus Paid It All.
Amen. You may be seated. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for each new day that you bring to us. And I pray now that as we open your word together, as we study it, as we, as we discuss it, as we, as we learn about it, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us and that you'd give me words to speak this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today, is, uh, as, as if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been walking through these five solas of the Reformation. And, and just to remind you, we, we started with Scripture alone, uh, then Christ alone, grace alone, and now we are here at faith alone. And faith alone is a, is a very important one of the five. They're all important, of course, but faith alone is really where they hinge together. See, all, all that we've talked about so far is about God's action toward us in Christ. Notice that the focus has been on him and not necessarily us, right? Maybe, maybe how we stand in response to what he's done, but, but the focus has been primarily on, on the Lord and what he's done for us through Christ and, and through his Holy Spirit working in our lives. Scripture reveals about God's grace and what he has made available to us in Christ. Christ alone teaches us that Jesus does the work necessary for salvation. It's, it's his work and not ours. Grace alone is the reminder that salvation is freely offered to us through Christ Jesus. Right? He extends it to us. And, and so faith, when we come to faith, our, what we're going to be talking about today is then our response to what Christ has done for us. What God has done for us through Christ and through the action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, all, all that, that we've been talking about so far is really built up to this point, Right? And now the question is, how do we as Christians, how do we as sinners in need of a Savior respond to what Christ has done for us? That's really what we are talking about when we talk about faith. Our response to God's grace in Christ. The next week as we wrap up the sermon series, we'll be talking about glory to God alone. How He receives all the glory and the honor and not us. And our, our responsibility to turn around and thank Him and, and glorify Him uh, in response to that. A great message for the end of Thanksgiving week. And so as we, as we talk about faith, as we talk about what it means to respond to God's grace to us in Christ, I think it's important for us to, to maybe take a step back and, and define some terms that, that often get thrown around, but maybe we don't necessarily think about. Some of those $5 words, right, that, that as Christians we often talk about, but but maybe we never really thought about what they mean or what their significance is to us and as it re- pertains to our salvation in Christ. And the first one is righteousness. Right, we talk about righteousness all the time and that, that it's a, not a righteousness of our own, but it's a righteousness that we receive through faith in Christ. But what does it mean to be righteous? Righteousness is, is conformity to an external standard. In other words, it's, it's whether or not you measure up. Right, whether or not you're, in a sense, good enough, whether or not you've conformed to a certain standard. And so that, it's a, it's a very kind of relational term, and, and it's, it's one thing or one person in relationship to, to another, either a standard or another person. See, in, in a sense, in a, in a maybe non-religious sense, you can have a, a righteous relationship with another person because you're in right relationship. You're, you're living out the relationship in the way it was intended to be and supposed to be. And so the Bible actually refers to that several times throughout the Old Testament about a person's righteousness and the fact that they, they did what they were supposed to do. They were a righteous person. They were upstanding. They, they 
in, in that sense, conform to the, to the moral code or the expectations of that day. Abraham and David and others are referred to as righteous at, at various times. But when we talk about um, our, our righteousness in terms of our salvation, what we're talking about is, is a right standing or relationship to God according to his moral code. In other words, God has created us for a certain, to be a certain kind of person, to live a certain kind of way. Right? He created us for that purpose. And what sin has done is it's created that barrier and broken that relationship between us and the Lord. And so in order to be righteous, right, you need to live perfectly and completely according to that law that God has put forth for us in his word. Live out, exact, live out God's intended purpose for us all the time, 24-7, 365. Right? That's what it means to be a righteous person in relation to God and his word and his law. Can any of you here say that you've done that? I can't. Right? None of us can. None of us can say that we are righteous in and, in and of our own, um, in our own accord or our own power. No one besides Jesus himself is righteous. No one perfectly conforms to the law. Right? If a righteous person is, is someone who perfectly and completely conforms to God's standard, then none of us can be considered righteous. So if you think about the Bible as a whole, if you look at the big story arc of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it's a story of God providing a way for, for unrighteous sinners, right? Unrighteous people, people that have, have, have broken that um, relationship to be made new again, that righteousness being restored, right? God has provided a way for us to be in that right relationship with him again through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's the overall you know, story arc, the narrative of the Bible is in Genesis that, that perfect righteousness, that relationship is broken. And in Revelation, we see it's restored once again, fully and completely when Christ returns. And so from Genesis, Revelation is the story of how God makes that possible, ultimately through Christ and his, his death and his resurrection. And so that's what we mean when we talk about righteousness, that that. Uh, right standing or relationship with God according to his moral code that none of us in our own power are able to achieve for ourselves. And another, another one of those $5 words is justification. What does it mean to be justified before the Lord? Justification is God's action toward us in which we are declared righteous in his sight. In other words, there's the problem of, of righteousness, right? We are, we are unrighteous. We are unworthy. We are undeserving of God's grace and his mercy and to be in a relationship with him. And so justification is God's action to fix that problem, to declare us righteous, to be made righteous in God's sight so that we can once again be in a relationship with him. And there's two views. There's two ways that, in a sense, this can happen. One is that is that God can simply look at us as if we've never sinned before. That God could say, well, I know you messed up. I know you've done things you shouldn't have done. I know that image of God and that righteousness has, has been lost. It's broken. But I'm just going to forgive you anyways. I'm just going to let it pass. Right? And so in a sense, God can declare us righteous simply of his own initiative, his own prerogative. It's almost like a presidential pardon, Right? Right? The president has the, has the authority to just simply wipe someone's slate clean when it comes to federal offenses and laws, right? That doesn't mean they didn't do it, right? And often those people that are, are pardoned are actually guilty. They just are having their sentences commuted. 
So when we think of justification in that way, it's not that the guilt has been removed. It's simply that the guilt is ignored. Right? Think about how we would perceive a judge who simply just found someone guilty in a court of law and then said, you know what, I'm feeling pretty lenient today. I'm just going to let you go. Right? That judge would not be a very good judge, would he? He wouldn't be a very righteous judge. He wouldn't be um, upholding the law. And that's what, and so, so for God to simply just ignore or pretend like sin doesn't exist is, is goes against his character. He's a holy, righteous God. And so that, that doesn't seem to, to jive with, with what um, we know about God in Scripture. But there's another way for God to justify sinners. And that's for that price, that penalty, and the punishment of sin to be paid by someone else. In other words, we are declared righteous because someone else has paid the penalty for our guilt, namely Christ Jesus. You see, in that sense, justification is righteous. It is holy. It's not ignoring sin. It's dealing with it. And that's what what God has done for us in Christ, is that He has dealt with our sin. He has paid the penalty for us so that in return we can receive Christ's righteousness. I mentioned already, he's the only one that lived a righteous life, right? He's the only one that wasn't deserving of punishment. But yet he lived that life and he died that death so that we didn't have to. So that he could take our sin and our curse upon himself and we could receive the blessing and the righteousness instead. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is all about. He who, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we can become the righteousness of God. It's not that we're righteous in and of ourselves, but we receive that righteousness from Christ. And so as we talk about what it means to respond to God's grace uh, to us in Christ, it's important to, to know that, to, to know what we're talking about when we talk about righteousness and justification and, and understand what He has done for us in Christ. And as we look at the passage we have before us today, Romans chapter 3, uh, this is a, it's a great passage because you see that, that idea of Christ alone and Scripture alone and grace alone really coming together in one spot. And then it, and it tells us how we should then respond to it. And so, um, really in a sense, many of the verses here in chapter 3 kind of recap and summarize what we've been talking about these last few weeks. It tells us what righteousness is really all about. It's, it's the grace that's available to us because of Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness that's revealed through Jesus and through the Scripture, the Law and the Prophets. He says in verse 21, But now, apart from the Law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the Law and the Prophets testify. It's given freely to all who believe. In verse 22, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's, it's available to all freely because all are in need of it. Right? Romans 3.23 is probably one of the most oft-quoted passages of Scripture, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Who is included in all? Everyone, right? All of us, myself included, right? We all fall short of God's glory. That's why His grace is then made available to all because all are in need of it. And it's God's grace through Jesus Christ um, that demonstrates God's righteousness. Picking up again in verse 24, all Excuse me, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to receive by faith. 
He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies the sinner. You see, I love that phrase, both just and the one who justifies. Right? God is made, God is holy and he is righteous. And, and so because of that, right, he can't tolerate sin. He can't have sin in his presence. And so, so a just judge, right, would, would condemn those who are guilty, right, for, for punishment. But God is also loving. God is merciful. God is gracious. And so not only does he condemn sin, but he also makes a way for that, for, for those who have sinned to be made right again. He is just and the one who justifies. It's through Christ that that is possible. And so it's at the cross that we see his love and his holiness coming together perfectly. Sin is dealt with, right? Sin is paid for, but it's done so that we can have that right relationship with God once again. That grace can be extended freely to each one of us. Love and holiness coming together completely at the cross. And so we get this, this righteousness explained. It's not of our own, it's from Christ. And, and that's really, you know, summing up what we've talked about these last few weeks. But Paul, Paul takes it a step further here. It's not, it's not just that Christ paid the, the penalty for our sin. It's not just that that has been made known to us in Scripture. It's not, it's not just that He extends that freely to all who believe. It's that it must be received by faith. That righteousness that is extended to each one of us must be received in turn. I'm sure you've all heard this explanation before, but it seems how we're coming up to the Christmas season, I think it makes sense. Right? What good is a present? Right? What good is a gift if you don't do anything with it? All right, we, love, we all love to receive gifts, right? I don't think anybody you know, doesn't like to get presents, right? That's, that's something that we all appreciate, but... But if we were to receive a gift in a box, right, wrapped up, what good is it if it just never is used? What good is it if it just stays in the box the entire time? It's no good. It doesn't have any value or, or worth to us because it's just it's not being received the way it should. And I'm sure if I, you know, if I gave a gift to Allie or Allie gave a gift to me, I should say, if Allie gave a gift to me and I said, oh, that's real sweet, honey, thank you so much, and I just stuck it on a shelf and forgot about it and never even acknowledged it, she probably wouldn't appreciate that too much, would she? Right? A gift needs to be received in order for it to be, to be, um, to fulfill, to fulfill its purpose. And so in the same way, that grace that's extended to us in Christ needs to be received and received by faith. So the question is, and it's actually six times in this passage, Romans 3, 21 to 31, it talks about the necessity to receive that grace by faith. Over and over again, Paul says it must be received by faith. So the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to receive something by faith? And, and what is faith to begin with, I guess, is the question. Hebrews 11, 1. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. See, faith is, is, is something that's beyond just knowing the facts, right? And I think we can all appreciate that. We can all understand it. Faith requires more than just the hard evidence that's in front of us. To have faith in something, to trust, means to trust something. It's to, to believe it even, even beyond a little bit of doubt, right? If you know something completely beyond a shadow of a doubt, does it really take faith to trust it or to believe it? 
Faith requires a little bit more. Faith, not not illogic, but 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 stepping beyond what we have presented for us. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so faith requires a response. It requires a conscious choice. We need to decide to put our faith in something. We need to decide to receive grace by faith. Again, to use the marriage analogy, right? Think about relationships. How much do we, can we say we really love something if we don't ever act on it? Does it really show that I love Allie if I never appreciate her or never, never take the time to spend with her or talk with her? Right, if I just ignore her all the time and pretend like she doesn't exist, is that really a loving marriage? No. A loving marriage is, is reciprocated, it's received, it's acted upon. It's a decision that you make to love and appreciate someone. In the same way, faith is a conscious decision. It's a choice. It's a response to the love that Christ, God has extended to us through Christ. And so faith is a response, but it, and it has three parts. The first part is knowledge. In order to put your trust in something, in order to to have faith in something, you need to know about it. That's where Scripture comes in. We need to know about what Christ has done for us. We need to know about all that He has made available to us through the cross and the grace and the love that He extends to us. If we don't know about it, how can we trust it? If we don't know the content of our faith, we can't really commit to it. But it's more than that. It's more than just knowledge. If knowledge is all we had, we'd be falling short, right? There's plenty of people who know about Jesus, who have heard about the cross, but have not put their trust in him, right? So faith needs to go, is knowledge, but it needs to go beyond that. It needs to move on to belief. Belief is, is agreeing with and believing that the content of our faith is true. So it's, it's not just enough to know about Jesus, but it's to believe the things about Jesus that we should believe, Right? Not just to hear the story of the cross, but to believe it actually happened. To believe that the resurrection actually took place. And so so there's knowledge, but then there's belief and and actually believing that it's true. But even that isn't enough either. Right in James, I didn't write it down here, but I think James chapter 2, it talks about how how even the, the demons believe in God, or believe that there's one God, and they shudder, Right? They believe that there's one God, but that doesn't mean they have saving faith in him. They're in rebellion against him, right? In the same way, we can believe that Jesus died for our sins. We can believe that he, he rose again from the grave, but still, that's, that's not quite saving faith. What's required is that last step of commitment and trust. Moving beyond knowledge and belief to active commitment and discipleship. That decision to, to actively trust and put our hope and commit to Christ. You see, you can know about something, you can believe in something, but, but that knowledge doesn't necessarily change your attitude or change your priorities. But when you commit to something, when you trust it with your life, that's going to impact how you live and how you respond. That's what saving faith looks like. It's it's allowing the truth of God's word to, go, to, to permeate us and to live according to it. It's about acting upon what we believe to be true. You know, 
you've probably all been to the doctor at some point in your life, right? And you've probably been told, you know, there's certain actions or certain habits that need to change, right? I was just thinking in the office the other day, like, we all know the terrible effects that bacon has on your heart, right? But we all love it. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem, right? A doctor can sit down and tell you eating a pound of bacon every morning for breakfast is going to lead to heart disease and cholesterol problems and blood pressure, all that stuff. Right? And you can know that's true. But if you keep eating the bacon, what is it showing? Right? It's showing that you're not committed. You're not trusting the process. Right? You don't trust the knowledge that's being shared with you. You can know all about the effects of, that bacon has on your, on your body, but if you're still going to just eat it day after day after day, you're not really putting your faith in what the doctor has to say. You see the difference there? We can know about something. We can even believe that the effects of bacon on our heart are true. But if we don't act on it, if we don't change the way we live or the change the way we, we act according to that knowledge, then we're not really being faithful or, or trusting in that, in that knowledge. The same is true with our relationship with Christ. We can, we can believe all about, about the cross. We can, we can even you know, have all of the knowledge in the world. We can know Scripture inside and out, but if we don't change according to it, if we don't allow the Spirit to, to soften our hearts and change according to the Word, we're not really putting our faith and our trust where it needs to be. We're holding out and we're not allowing God to do the work in our lives that we know He needs to do. The Bible says over and over again that we will be judged, will be known by our fruit. How we live our lives will be an indication of our, where we put our trust and our faith. That doesn't mean that those good works and those actions are what save us. But as I said last week, our, our good works, our fruit, are evidence of the change that should be taking place in our lives as a, in a response to knowing and, and trusting in Christ. And so we need to look beyond ourselves and submit to Jesus' lordship. We need, to, we need to put our trust in him and commit to following him and allow him to work and, and change us from the inside out. Otherwise, what are we really doing? Are we really trusting in the Lord like we should? So faith means receiving that righteousness and trusting in, in that what Christ has done for us is enough. And we also know that righteousness from this passage is available to all. Those final verses, verses 20, 27 through 31, says that there's no boasting. We can't brag about it because it's available to all. It's nothing that we have done. Even faith itself is a gift, right? And so it's not about what we have done or what we have not done. It's about what Christ has done for us. And so according to that, there's no boasting. There's nothing to brag about because it's nothing you've earned. Simply been received as a gift. And it's available to all by faith. Grace does not discriminate. All are judged by the same standards. And it's not good or bad, as I said last week, it's alive or dead. Whether or not you've received and responded to that grace available to us. And Paul here says that this sort of faith fulfills the law. It fulfills the law because God does not ignore sin. Remember back to the start of our conversation today. God doesn't ignore sin, but he deals with it completely. He would be unjust, unfaithful, ungood, if that's even a word, to leave sin unpunished. Justification through faith, therefore, fulfills the law because Christ received the punishment for our sins, and in return we receive his righteousness. 
He's both just and the one who justifies. And so what does this all mean for us? It means that our hope is not in the quantity of our faith. Our hope is in the object of our faith. In other words, it's not about having and mustering up enough faith in and of yourself in order to be saved. It's not, you know, it's not about whether or not your faith is strong enough. It's, it's, it's about the person you're putting your faith and your trust in, and that's Jesus Christ. He's mighty to save. He's the one that's able to do it. It's all, all about what he's done already. We simply respond to it. And so we don't need to be discouraged by our lack of faith. We're going to have moments. We're going to have days. We're going to have weeks and months, right, where we are wavering in our faith, where we're unsure, we doubt. Maybe we're not living the kind of life that we know we should. But when we put our trust and our hope in the Lord, it's about what He's done for us, not what we can do for ourselves. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says, This is a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we also uh, will reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. And if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. He remains faithful even when we're not. It's about, about keeping our focus on Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, in the context of talking about, about perseverance, the author of Hebrews says that we should fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. See, He's the one we keep our focus on, not on ourselves. We keep our focus and our eyes on Him, and He will help us endure. As I said already, even faith itself is a gift from God. Any faith we would have would be useless apart from Christ. Right? I could believe that God is loving and merciful and will save me, but if God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross and rise again, that faith is, is useless, right? I could trust all you know, I could trust in things all I want, but if but if but if God didn't act toward us in Christ in that way, that faith would be useless. Same idea if I if I climbed all the way up to the top of the clock tower here, right, and I had all the faith in the world that I could fly. It's not going to happen, right? I could believe that all I want, but apart from you know, the laws of gravity changing in that instant, it's not going to happen. In the same way, our faith is important not because of what, it, what faith we can muster. It's important because of who we put our faith in. That God did send Christ, that he did rise from the grave, and that we can have that hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. See, our faith, is, our faith is valuable because of what Christ has already done for us. We're simply receiving and responding to that grace. And so we need to respond to it. God has ex- graciously extended grace to us, graciously extended grace to us in Christ. He has made that available. And we simply need to respond. You see, Christ died for our sin. He was buried and He was raised to life. That's the essence of the Gospel message. That all, including me and you, are sinners. But we are justified freely by the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. And so we need to receive God's grace by faith. We need to trust that He died for you. He died for me, a sinner. And that you are now made right with God. That righteousness is available, not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done for us. And so, we need to ask God then to fill us with His Holy Spirit. 
to trust that we would, to, to instill in us that kind of faith and that kind of trust that we can, we can commit to following the Lord. We need to put our hope in Him. That's what it means to respond in faith and to trust in faith alone. We can't add to what Christ has already done. There's nothing we can do that, that, that can somehow add and make that salvation complete. It's already made available completely and fully through Christ. We simply need to respond. So as I close in prayer this morning, I encourage you to respond in faith to Christ. He's made that righteousness available freely to all who believe. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all unrighteous in and of our own accord. But He has made that righteousness available to us freely through Christ and what He's done for us on the cross. We simply need to respond. Would you pray with me? Father, I I thank You that, that through Christ You have made eternal life available to all who believe. I thank You that Your grace does not discriminate and that it is made available to all who put their trust in You. And so this morning I pray that those who are here gathered at First Church, those who are listening on the radio, Lord, if there's anyone that's here that, that it needs to respond to that grace this morning, I pray that they would do so. I pray that each one that is gathered here would, would respond in faith, knowing that we can't save ourselves, we can't earn our way to You, but You've made that available freely and completely through Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, You would work in our hearts to soften those, Lord, uh, who need to put their trust in you in this moment. And I pray that they would do so. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you showed your love for us in that way. And Lord, we receive completely by faith, not by what we can do. We receive by faith the grace and the love that you've extended to us through Christ. And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to guide and direct, Lord, our steps so that from this day forward we could live lives that are pleasing to you by grace. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing number 404, The Solid Rock.
to encourage you this morning that if you're putting your trust in Christ for the first time today, or maybe those who are listening on the radio uh, were, were able to do that, uh, don't, be, don't hesitate to let me know. Call. I'd love to talk with you about that. Now may the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.